Welcome to the Thriving on Purpose podcast, where we teach Christian entrepreneurs how to build a strong foundation of faith, growth, and skill to lead and thrive on purpose in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, certified coaches, Elizabeth and Sebastian Richard. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose podcast. We're so glad you can join us. And today's podcast is going to be about the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God. So we're continuing uh, God's Kingdom Purpose for Men series, which is now part five. So in order for you to understand how to operate in the kingdom of God, you need to understand how the kingdom of God operates. That's very well said, very well put, exactly. So this is why it's really, really important that you stick around because I'm guessing most of you, like I and Sebastian, have not been raised in a kingdom, no, right? No, I'm <laughs> definitely not in a kingdom here. <laughs> exactly. So this is really crucial that we understand these 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God. So I encourage you to stay till the end so you really grasp this and understand this fully so that you're able to uh, understand how the kingdom of God operates in your life as well. Um, before we get into the episode and uh, do a little short overview, uh, if you would like to go to thrivingonpurpose.com and sign up to get the latest episodes straight to your inbox, that way you don't miss any episodes, you can go do that there. And also you'll see other free resources that we have for you if you haven't already done that. So yeah, let's uh, dig in. Yeah, we're going to dig in. And but, but before we do, I just want you guys to know that uh, this, um, these 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God are going to be spread out on two episodes because as I was preparing uh, everything we need to talk about, I realized, you know what, this is just going to be too long. I didn't want to do a two-hour podcast. I think it would be preferable to do maybe two 45, 50-minute ones, and that's what kind of how we were aiming for it. So we're going to tackle uh, five this time around and seven the next time. Uh, that's what we're aiming for anyway. And before we get right into it, I want to do a quick recap for those of you who are joining us who have not listened from episode 31 in which we started teaching the kingdom of God. You might be a little lost if you just joined us now and you're listening from this episode. So I'm just going to do a quick recap so we can put everybody back in context about what we're talking about. So in the last episodes, starting at episode 31... We understood that God, who is our king, the king of kings, the king of the universe, is good. He's a good, good father, and his kingdom in heaven is perfect. And God, when he created the earth, he wanted this perfect kingdom of heaven to grow in territory and extend to the earth realm. So what he really wanted was to make earth a colony of heaven. He wanted the earth to be a very special place, a place that reflected his kingdom in heaven. And he wanted this colony of heaven on earth to be ruled by his new creation, made in his image, and that was man. So he gave man authority and dominion on the earth. Man, as we know, when he fell, he made a mess of things. So he transferred, in, in his fall, he transferred rulership or dominion of the earth realm to Satan. Because he now obeyed the voice of an enemy, there was a transfer of ownership. God, in order to fix this mess, couldn't break his word. Now, that was very important, as we saw in the last episodes. He couldn't break his word and just intervene directly. So he had to be in covenant with man, since he gave dominion to man. He had to be in covenant with man to bring back his influence and rule through man and through man's descendants in the earth. So this process officially began with the Abrahamic Covenant, which was the official re-entry point of God through man and his seed for future generations. Remember, when God renamed Abram Abraham, he gave him the new name which signifies father of many nations. So the physical and spiritual seed of Abraham are all who believe in God since that time. So they are the children of the promise, okay? 
those who have the faith of Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant reached its completion with that seed when Jesus Christ came in the earth realm, born as a man, to forever reconcile man back to God and to bring God back for good in the earth realm, in the person of the Holy Spirit, which now resides permanently within men and women who believe. So the kingdom of God, his influence, his rulership, has now been restored within the hearts and lives of men who are serving the king to this day. And these men and women take back territory from the enemy for the king every day by doing and fulfilling God's will. This is now where we are at until Jesus Christ returns and reestablishes all things forever and ever. In the meantime, now in the meantime, since Jesus came, died on the cross and rose again, he told his disciples in the parable of the talents, he said to them before he left, and it was a parable, before he left, before the king left, he said, occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. This is the direction he gave to his servants before he left them. Occupy till I come. So what does this mean exactly to occupy till he comes? Does it mean to just stay busy? Is that what Jesus meant? Well, not really. Jesus essentially said that we are to remain occupied in working hard for his kingdom until he returns. The English Standard Version of the Bible has translated occupy till I come as, and I like that translation, I think it really says a lot, engage in business until I come. And that's what he told the servants in the parable of the talents. He said to them, engage in business until I come. Which is to say, take care of my business, make it grow, look after things dutifully while I'm gone. And here's the interesting part. It can also mean a military term. In military terms, to occupy means to take control of a territory, especially a country, by military conquest or settlement. So synonyms of the military term occupy can include capture, seize, take possession of, conquer, invade, overrun, take over, or colonize. I found that so interesting. So when Jesus said, occupy till I come, yes, he said, you know, take care of business, um, keep growing the kingdom, but it's also a military term of conquest. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting, Very interesting, isn't it? yeah. And before we can do all that, before we can do all that he wants us uh, as, as the term says, to occupy, we need to better understand what it means to be part of a kingdom, or better yet, of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of God. As believers, we live in a kingdom, the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, not only do we live in it, but the kingdom of God is living within us. So it's a dual thing. As human beings, however, Few of us have understanding or notions of what this entails exactly. And the reason is quite simple. As Liz said in the beginning of the podcast, most of us live in countries that are not ruled by a king, countries that are not technically a kingdom. Most of the countries we live in operate differently to some degree than a kingdom. There are similarities, but there are differences. There are main differences, big ones too. So we live mostly in, like, we live in democracies, we live in republics, the United States is a republic. Therefore, we are not very familiar with how a kingdom operates and how, therefore, we should conduct ourselves before a king. So that affects our efficiency in the kingdom of heaven. Not knowing how a kingdom operates and how we should operate before a king or what we should do for a king or what a king entails, that kind of makes us uneasy in performing our duties as citizens of the kingdom. So many of us live under a government, under the rulership of a president or a prime minister, but not under a king 
per se. So this is problematic. The ignorance of earthly kingdom principles of operation keep us from being fully functional and efficient as citizens of the kingdom of God. Also, in a democracy, the people decide. Now, that's another big point. In a democracy, which most of us live in, the people decide, but not in a kingdom. In a kingdom, the king decides. So, of course, this affects our thinking, our mindset, and our obedience, ultimately, as citizens of God's kingdom. Because when you live under a king, when you're used to living under a king, and you're told that you're now shifting and living in the kingdom of God, well, you already have a pretty good grasp of what you're getting into. But we didn't really have that from, you know, from forever, because I've been living in Canada all these years, and, and, and I'm not living in a kingdom per se with a king. I live, I'm, we have Prime Minister Trudeau at, at, at the head of the country, and he's not a king, and, and it's quite obvious. <laughs> and I'm not going to get into politics right now, but all this to say that we're not living under a king in the earth realm, most of us. The Bible says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So today's episode and the one next week in which we tackle the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God will serve, hopefully, to remedy our lack of knowledge when it comes to living in a kingdom. Because this is what it's all about. The 12 characteristics that we're going to explain in detail are about explaining what it means, what it entails to live under a king, who is God, in his kingdom. And much of what you will hear today is based in part on a chapter of Dr. Miles Monroe, who, who passed away a few years ago, who wrote an excellent book called Rediscovering the Kingdom. So I based part of my teaching on that, on what was found in one of his chapters, it's not the whole, like it's, it's adapted, if you will. I didn't take the whole thing, but I adapted it from some of his teaching in that book. And we will put the link to the, uh, the book, Rediscovering the Kingdom, in the resources. Why? Well, simply because I believe if you read just one book on the kingdom of God, it should be this one. It is extremely thorough. So, without any further ado, let us now begin with the 12 characteristics of the kingdom of God. Exactly. So, number one, a kingdom has a king. This first principle is the cornerstone of kingdom understanding. Okay, so without a king, there is no kingdom. In fact, the word kingdom literally means the king's domain. One cannot exist without the other. There is no king without a kingdom and no kingdom without a king. Amen to that. And exactly, kingdom, the word entails King domain, kingdom. So the kingdom of God has God as its king. The king is the ultimate source of authority in the kingdom, and through this authority establishes the kingdom. The sovereignty of the king in a kingdom is unquestionable. I'm going to give you a few points here that so you understand what it fully means, what a king, what having a king means, okay, what a king means. A king is never voted into power. A king's authority is by birthright. A king cannot be voted out of power. A king's word is law in his territory or in his domain. A king personally owns everything in his domain. A decree of the king cannot be changed. Now, that's powerful when you think about that. So, the word of the king cannot be changed. The decree of the king cannot be changed. The king chooses who will be citizens of his kingdom. The king embodies the government of his kingdom. The presence of the king is the presence of his entire kingdom authority. The king measures his wealth by the wealth of his property. The home of the king, so the castle, expresses his nature. The name of the king is the essence of his power. And as, as I was reading these terms, all, the, all these points, I'm pretty sure you pretty got a glimpse of who Jesus is when you understand that, okay, he's king, God is king, 
and I'm reading these points, you kind of see a picture of God there and you're like, whoa, it gives us such a great glimpse into the glory, power, and authority of God as we read what it entails to be a king. Absolutely. So I'm going to read to you a few verses here in Matthew 18, 23, we read, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. In Matthew 21st chapter, verse 5, it says, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. In Matthew 22nd chapter, verse 2, we read, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. In John 18, 37, we read, Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So we see so far how, how the kingship of Jesus in all those passages, that's his king. He was a king. He's a king. Exactly. So in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 17, we read, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. And the last uh, verse is Revelations chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called, chosen, and faithful. That's very amazing. Like, this just, you know, our God is the King. He's, he's the King. <laughs> And um, so that brings us to the characteristic number two, which is a kingdom has a domain. The domain of the king is the territory over which he exercises his authority, control, and dominion. Exactly. A king owns his domain and can expand it by the power of his might. When a king impacts the domain with his influence, it is called, as we have seen, his Kingdom, kingdom, king domain. The king can also delegate authority to others in order to reinforce the governing and administration of his domain. That is what our God has done with man. He has delegated his authority. Now, God's domain is all-encompassing. That needs to be very clear. You need to understand this. He created everything and therefore he is king over all and Liz I believe you have some great verses to share about that yeah amen so the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 4 34 to 35 we read his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Yeah, no one can say to the king, what have you done? If they say that, their lives are in danger. <laughs> exactly. And we read in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10, verse 14, Behold to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. In Job chapter 41, verse 11, we read, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, we read, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. In Psalm chapter 89, verse 11, we read, The heavens are yours, the earth also is yours, the world and all it contains, you have founded them. Amen. So make no mistake, God, our King and Father, owns it all. Okay? He owns it all. The only reason Satan was able to usurp the earth realm temporarily was through cunning by using the king's word and law against the king temporarily. So when the king gave man dominion, 
That was his word. That was his decree. He was taking a gamble, and he knew it. I mean, there's no surprise. God doesn't have anything that surprises him. So this quote-unquote legal loophole, if you will, was man's own vulnerability to deception. And as we saw in episode 33, God knew just how to fix this in the coming of Jesus Christ, which was foreseen, prophesied, and planned for from the beginning. Okay, so I just wanted to make that clear. God owns it all, even if Satan had temporary rulership in the earth realm. Yeah, and that brings us to number three. So the third characteristics of a kingdom is a kingdom has a constitution. Just as every country has a constitution, so does a kingdom. Exactly. The constitution of the kingdom is the documented will, intent, desires, and purposes of the king for his citizens and kingdom. Let me repeat that because this really gives us some great understanding about the constitution of the kingdom. The constitution of the kingdom is the documented will, intent, desires, and purposes of the king for his citizens and kingdom. Our constitution as citizens of the kingdom is, well, you guessed it, the Bible. You see, the Bible is the documented will, intent, desires, and purposes of the king, who is God, for his citizens, that's us, and kingdom. This constitution, the word of God, which is the word of the king, trumps any other government or rulership that we may be under. Now, that's very important. That's very important to understand. Your kingdom citizenship is more important and has more value and more power and more authority than any other citizenship or membership in any group that you may have. So, it's the authority of the believer. If you understand this, you will live boldly for the king and his kingdom without any fear of man. This way, when the king returns, you will be deemed a quote-unquote good and faithful servant. And what is said by the king in favor of those good and faithful servants who uphold his constitution? Liz, fire away. Yeah, so in Matthew 20, uh, chapter 25, verse 34, it says... Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The inheritance is the kingdom itself. The early apostles clearly understood this. In Acts, when Peter and other apostles had escaped from jail because of an angel and began preaching the gospel once again, They were brought before the high priests and authorities. And this is the conversation that followed. Liz, if you could read Acts chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, please. The high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Mm-hmm. Should obey God rather than man. Exactly. And other Bible passages that testify to his constitution are these. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, we read, Since the king's word is supreme, who can say to him, What are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come to no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. Now, that's pretty good. That's Solomon, actually. So, And Solomon was like a really very glorious king. So, <laughs> since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we read in Psalm uh, chapter 119, verses 89 to 93, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 
Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They, con they continue this day according to your ordinances for all your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would then have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. That's powerful as well. And in the same chapter, Psalm 119, verse 16, we read this. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So our constitution for the kingdom of God is the Bible, God's word, which is the king's word. And that brings us to the fourth characteristic of the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom has laws. Every kingdom has laws. The laws of the kingdom are the words, decrees, and edicts of the king. And these laws determine the standards and precepts by which the kingdom is to be governed. Yeah, like most, people, most of you guys know, the Bible is a book of laws and commandments especially the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah, which means law and instruction. A friend shared a thought with me on Facebook this week, and the thought, the, it said this, any so-called law that violates the law of God is no law at all. You know what? That's true. In other words, any law that violates or contradicts the word of the king is no law at all for the citizens of the kingdom. So, here are some scriptures pertaining to the laws of the king and laws of the kingdom. Liz, if you'd take it away, please. Yeah, so we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 25, And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. We also read in Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 to 8, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Mm. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. Amen. We also read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 18 to 19, Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, that's Jesus saying that. And it's a mouthful and it's a very important passage for all of those who think that Jesus came to abolish the law. Uh, read that again and again until you get it. The law still stands because it's pure and it's holy and it's just. Exactly. And we, the last uh, verse I'm going to read is, John chapter 14, 15, the king says, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's King Jesus who said that. Exactly. If you love me, keep my commandments. And in verse 21 of John chapter 14, we read, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, the king, God, holds his citizens to a higher standard than other people. The laws of our king and our God are perfect, like I said, because they express his perfect character. So, any king, when he speaks, his word becomes law. If the king is perfect... The words he speak, the law, they become law. And that's going to be a perfect law. That's amazing when you think about it. So how the citizens of a kingdom behave reflects on the goodness and character of the king. It makes a kingdom's, a kingdom's glory shine before other people and other nations. 
This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, he said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So you see how they go together. Your good works will glorify your Father in heaven because He's the one you take orders from. He's the one you're following. He's your King. So when your good works are seen by men, they glorify Him. So Liz, would you share also the passage in 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 11 to 12? So it says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. There you go again. It's about our conduct. Um, mm. So that that's going to glorify God. It's going to glorify the king. How we act and conduct ourselves reflects on the king we serve and his kingdom's glory. Additionally, I now believe there are two ways one can read the Ten Commandments. And I think you guys are going to appreciate where I'm going with this, okay? Notice first how Exodus chapter 20, that's where the Ten Commandments are listed, begins with Yahweh stating who He is. He says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That is to say, here's what I did for you, my people. And then we read the commandments, which are listed, and what he requires, basically, in return. So, here's what I did for you. Here's what I expect from you now. There is, of course, the textual way to read those commandments, which is, you know, you shalt not. You know, you shall not steal, murder, covet, etc. So, we read them as commandments, which they are. They are commandments, and they are still in effect, okay? But there's also the following way to understand the commandments under the New Covenant. I heard a pastor present this, I think it was on an episode of Focus on the Family, if I remember correctly. But he, he gave it a kind of a, an interesting twist. Basically, it's like God is saying, look, I'm your God and King. You belong to me because I freed you. Therefore, as a result, you shalt not fill in the blank, you know, murder, covet anymore. You shall not steal anymore. You shall not murder anymore. You shall not commit adultery anymore. Here's where I'm going with this. As New Covenant believers, the Ten Commandments are not just commands anymore, but they're also fulfilled promises by Jesus for us forever. So they are now words of praise as well as commandments. They are now promises for those in Christ. So, for example, now that you're in Christ, you shall not steal, you shall not murder, you shall not covet, etc. In effect, under the new covenant, they are now stating that we do not steal, murder, commit adultery, covet, etc. Because in Christ, we are perfect. Jesus Christ has made us perfect before the King, before the Father. When I heard this the first time, I thought it was really neat. I was like, what an interesting way to read those commandments. So they still stand as commandments, of, of course. We want to honor them. We want to obey them. But at the same time, they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ because that's how we are now. We do not commit adultery. We do not... Uh, covet, uh, bear false witness, false witness, etc., etc. Don't you find that interesting? Very, very interesting. And that brings us to our characteristic number five of a kingdom. A kingdom has citizens, as you obviously know. Citizenship of a kingdom is not a right, but a privilege, and it is at the pleasure of the king himself. So citizens are chosen by the king and are beneficiaries of the king's pleasure and promise. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Psalm chap chapter 50, 
verse 15 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And in Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 29 to 30, we read, Those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There you go. In First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we read, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we are a chosen people. Furthermore, We are citizens by birth, not by right. For example, I'm a Canadian citizen because I was born here. I'm a citizen by birth. Therefore, as a citizen, I have the right to all the privileges my government offers by birth. That's why I enjoy free health care, by the way. Paul was, the Apostle Paul, he was a Roman citizen by birth. And we read a really interesting account in Acts chapter 22, verses 22 to 29. The account is this. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. So he was a popular preacher. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, and I think, before I keep going, you're going to see Paul's very clever. He could have said what he's about to say before they were stretching him out. It's just like, I think he was having fun there. Uh, And I, I, I might be wrong, but I think he was just having fun with the fact that he was a Roman citizen. Check, check what's going to happen. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do? he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. This is hilarious. This is kind of like a Bugs Bunny episode or something, because you can see Paul is just having fun there, because he knows they're going to be in trouble if they... They just touch a hair on him because there's a process that needs to be undergone when you're going to, you know, put a Roman citizen in chains like they did to Paul. And he knew that. And of course, as a citizen, he knew his rights. He knew what he was entitled to. And uh, so he did. He just kind of waited a little bit there before he was uh, stretched out. And then kind of matter of fact, he said, is it okay for you to do that to a Roman citizen? I just thought it was kind of funny. So as a Roman citizen, Paul had certain unalienable rights, (laughs) liberties, and privileges. And clever lad that he was, he didn't have any qualms about using these rights. So in the same way, whatever your country is, once you are a citizen, you have rights. As a citizen, you have rights and privileges. The usual rights of citizens are, I'm going to name a few, You have the right to vote, the right to purchase property, the right to protection. You have the right to ethical treatment. You have the right to justice and fair trial, the right to worship freely, the right to access resources, the right to access information. You have the right to life and the right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Exactly. 
and we in the same way are citizens of the kingdom of God by birth. How is that? Well, we were born into the kingdom of God when? At our new birth. So why do you think Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So, like any citizen, you need to be born into the kingdom of God. That's why the new birth is so important. That's what makes you a citizen of the kingdom of God because you are reborn in spirit in the kingdom of God. So you see, to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born into it. This citizenship, like most others, is acquired by birth or by new birth. So this is why the new birth is the point of entry. In fact, the term that we translate in our Bibles, born again, can also be translated born from above, which is interesting. And in the same chapter, John 3, verses 5 and 6, Jesus adds, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. And guess what? Once you are a citizen in the kingdom of God, you have rights as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Did you know that? Probably not. Well, maybe now you know. And what do we do when our rights are not respected in our respective country? When our rights are not respected in our country or where we live or in our city, we appeal to the authorities, to the government. For example, if someone breaks into your house, what do you do? You call the police. Why? Because you have rights to have your property protected. As a citizen, your rights were violated and you need the situation corrected. That's why you are entitled to call the cops. Well, in similar fashion, this is why we are told in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse six, verses 6 and 7, to appeal to our government when we are in trouble. So when we're in trouble, we can appeal to the king of the kingdom of which we are citizens of. Liz, would you read to us Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7? Absolutely. So it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Exactly. So when we're in trouble, when we're anxious, when things are not going well for us, we have a king who can provide abundantly, way above anything we can ask for or hope for, in Jesus Christ and God that we have access to because we are born into this kingdom of heaven. We're born into it at the new birth. So we become citizens, and citizens have rights. Exactly. And you know how we talked in the last episode about God being good and, you know, how sometimes, uh, you know, unknowingly we didn't have that uh, way of thinking and that we have to correct that way of thinking. And so if you listen to that episode, the conclusion basically is that God is our father and he always wants good for us because he loves us because he's our father, but he's also our king. And so in this episode, I hope that this really opened your eyes to see that you are part of his kingdom and that, you know, he's your father, but he's also your king. So you have rights and that you have you are entitled to have what he has as well to offer you because I think some a lot of Christians kind of you know have this mentality that they're they're good for nothing and they're worth nothing and you know they you know they they love God and they put God you know they see him the way they should but at the same time they don't see what how God sees them exactly and God doesn't see you as you know gum under his shoe he sees you as a citizen he sees you as being part of his kingdom he wants so much blessings for you 
So when you have that in your mind, I know for me, when I was studying a lot of this, it really, you know, I was happy to, to understand that side because we understand as Christians that one day when we go to, to heaven, one day when we die, we're going to be part of his kingdom in heaven. But understanding this, you understand as well that you are part of his kingdom here on earth as well. Right now, yeah. Because we are spiritual beings, right? So when you communicate with God, like in the last verse we read, he, you know, you're having this communication with him, you know, the, the earth and the heavens go together, okay, in the spiritual sense. And it's all this, also the same thing with spiritual warfare. You know, when the devil comes and tells you lies in your ears and tells you you're no good or tells you that you can't accomplish a certain thing or that you're not as good as another person doing whatever business, you have to, you know, get rid of those doubts and say, you know, I'm a citizen I'm I'm an ambassador for Christ and I have a part to play in this in his kingdom and I'm worth something and you have to you know talk talk against the devil in that way you know you mm -hmm. have to claim your authority basically and I hope all this gives you more confidence to go into the task that God is pulling you towards and not listen to the devil and understand that he has no power over you well i know that for one i know that th these teachings that we've been doing on the kingdom of god have been a blessing to to me myself first and foremost uh, <laughs> i'm the one who's benefited much from studying all this content uh, I, i've really been blessed by that but as well uh, you guys have been communicating with us and, and writing in more and asking questions and i and i just uh, i can see that it's really impacting lives this teaching and, and even this week I had, uh, uh, I was taking a nap and I heard a voice and it, it wasn't the voice of God and the voice said, drop it. And I know what it meant and uh, I'm not going to drop it. <laughs> I need to bind these, uh, the, these um, demonic forces are trying to come against us and, and stop us from teaching these kingdom teachings. But I know it's making the enemy upset and if it's making the enemy upset, well, that means we're doing a good thing here. And uh, it's been confirmed by uh, listeners writing in and, and seeing how they were blessed by these few podcasts that we've done so far, and we'll just keep them coming. Uh, yeah, and, and the inspiration behind it, um, you know, we've seen how God has really inspired us more than any other of our podcasts uh, to do this content for you guys. Uh, it's been a real inspiration to see how God has really helped us with this content. Because and, as entrepreneurs, and, really, it's... And I'm sorry I cut you, Liz, but as entrepreneurs, one of the biggest challenges for a Christian entrepreneur is mindset. Like any anybody else, right? It's not because you're a Christian that you're going to have a, a super strong mindset. And knowing whose you are and who you are, it just fixes so much of your mindset. Because we try to bump ourselves up with all kinds of motivational stuff. Then, you know, some of it's good, some of it's Maybe not so much, but the point is we try to keep that mindset strong because we know so much hinges on it. And yet, when you learn about kingdom, when you really learn your position in the kingdom of God and, and how that has the authority that God has given you and the dominion that God, God has given you and reestablished in, in Christ Jesus for you, for your life, then it really, really builds up that mindset and puts it in, a, in, a, in another stratosphere where you know that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Basically. Absolutely. Amen. And I hope that also that, you know, all of this um, is shedding light to you to understand, you know, the why Jesus came on the cross and how big of a love he had for us mm. that he doesn't want us to live in bondage he doesn't want us to live in suffering and uh, he really wants us to understand this so that we can have freedom here on earth and accomplish great things for him and and you know the more that you dig into this and the more that you discover these things and you pray about it you're gonna see a lot of things uh, you know flourish in your life and you're gonna understand different things and it's gonna lead you to accomplishing more of your purpose. He's going to show you, shed a light on that for you as well. Mm. So we hope that you were blessed by this podcast. We encourage you to uh, check out the next podcast next week. 
We're going to continue into the other characteristics, which are yeah. really, really important we're, as well. We're going to cover the uh, the next seven because we did five today. So there's seven more coming next week. So that's going to make it 12 in total, like we said at the beginning of the podcast. Exactly. And this is really going to help you to understand how the kingdom operates in your life. And, you know, the more we understand about God's kingdom and the characteristics, the more it, it helps us to understand, you know, the Bible in a, in a different light. In a light. different light, yeah. And understand the kingship and why, you know, like a lot of the verses now that I reread, in the New Testament, when Jesus is speaking with authority, I see differently now. Oh, yeah. Because it all makes more sense. Even the the verse that we read uh, earlier with Paul, you know, he understood what it meant to be a Roman citizen. Yes. He wasn't even, you know, scared one bit because he really knew his rights. He knew he knew what they could do and what they couldn't do. He, he knew they'd be shaking in their booties as soon as he, was, he would say that. And it's kind of funny that he waited so long before he told them, right? They had the whip in hand and, so uh, you ready to flog me now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the more that you learn about kingdom, the more you understand the power behind Jesus Christ and the power that he, that he is and that he's given you to accomplish so much good on this earth. And, and you know, we're taking back what has been stolen by the enemy. So you're working with God in the, in this, you know? So it's important that you continue this series so that you understand more about this so that you can use it in your, in your life. So we encourage you to share this podcast. I know that you, you've been blessed by it. So please bless other people with it. And uh, like I said earlier, if you haven't gone to thrivingonpurpose.com, just sign up to have our latest podcast sent to you. And so we hope that you were blessed. And uh, before we end, before we end, guys, you're blessed. You've been following us for a while. You love it week after week. Well, leave us a review on iTunes. That's the best way to thank us. Yeah, we love reading uh, what you guys have to say about the podcast. And also, you know, like how it's impacted you, different things, different elements, different, you know, sometimes it's one thing that you heard that, wow, made such a big difference for you. Sometimes we'd it's love to sentence, hear, yeah. yeah, we'd love to hear your, your insights and your stories and how it's impacted you in your life. So leave us a, a short review to let us know on iTunes. Yeah, we love your reviews. All right, so be blessed. And thrive on. Thanks for listening to the Thriving on Purpose podcast. Be sure to visit thrivingonpurpose.com to access the show notes and to discover more fantastic content. Until next time, be blessed and may you thrive on purpose.